0: Welcome to The Future Belongs to Creators. I'm your host, Nathan Berry. I'm the CEO at ConvertKit. And I'm joined by my co-host, Barrett Brooks. He's the COO here at ConvertKit. And we're on a mission to help creators earn a living. This show is about turning anxious energy into creative output during times of uncertainty. All right, welcome to episode 34 of The Future Belongs to Creators. I'm Nathan Berry. This is the incredible Barrett Brooks, who's back with us today with all the dance moves. We'll see if the sound effects come in later. Um, There's really no way to know no way to predict them until they happen. So uh, with that, Barrett, how are you doing today?
1: It's casual Q&A Friday. I'm DJ Barry Bear here for the Friday Tunes.
0: (laughs) I'm I'm back. I'm realizing I missed the memo on casual somehow.
1: Well, you have, I, you have real meetings today. I, I only have meetings with you, so I don't have to impress anyone.
0: <laughs> Wait, you're saying that, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm reading too much into it. I'm going to say that I'm reading too much into that comment and that you actually do value the time that you spend with me.
1: Well, we can talk about it later. <laughs> yeah, I'm green today. I did my uh, every two, two two and a half week grocery run this morning. That is, you know, as we all know, that's a thing. That is an event and, um, got there safely and back. That was good. Got a, got a bunch of good stuff. Um, my favorite local coffee shop owned by two brothers that are good friends of mine opened up their location right near me for socially distanced, uh, to go coffees today. So I got a, a nice oat milk latte from them. So that's got me feeling good. Uh, it's Friday. It's been a good week. We've, we've had some big wins at work this week. We, we mm-hmm. had four people accept offers to join our team. A lot of good work which is happening. Which crazy high for us. Other, yes. other
0: companies, they might be like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a normal week. For us, that's like half a year's worth of hiring.
1: Yes. And we had 100% uh, acceptance rate. So that's super fun. Um, and April was a really good month for our business, which I'm really thankful for. Um, mm-hmm. And really just trying to sit in the gratitude of it instead of feeling like, I don't know, we're winning when other people are losing. I'm just trying to feel good about it and know that we're trying to do as much good as we can, too. How you doing?
0: I'm good. Uh, we got into some good conversations today. Two of our designers that joined the company a month ago today, or you know, yesterday, today marked the the one month marks for them. And so that was really fun to talk to them and you know, just give feedback on the process. They're both killing it. So it was really, really fun to, one, realize that a month has gone by and we're all like, how did that happen? But as uh, one of our team members said on our all team call yesterday, you know, what is time? Like, I don't even know anymore. Uh, the only difference of weekends and weekdays is that I don't do a podcast on the weekends. So, uh, no, there's other differences. But I think I'm going to get some good work done this afternoon. So excited for it. I've got some good questions coming up that we can dive in. I've got an article that I want to talk about, get your thoughts on. And yeah, that's that's pretty much it.
1: Love it. Well, Q&A Friday means that if you're listening live, you get priority over everyone who's submitted ahead of time, which, you know, I don't want to set the wrong incentives, but I do feel like our number one priority is being here with this live. I mean, I freaking love the crew that's here pretty much every day. It's so much fun to see, yes. you know, everyone who shows up, Emily and Sean and Teddy and Keshna and Noah, and we got the other Sean here today too, Sean Blanc. Um, thanks for tuning in. So Yeah. We'll take your live questions, and then we've got a couple that got submitted ahead of time. And Nathan's just going to insert his own thinking into today's into today's episode <laughs> as well because he's got an article he wants to share, <laughs> which I'm I enjoyed too.
0: I also closed the tab on the article, so you know we'll see if I even find it again. Who, who knows? It might not. It might be lost. But let's start with Kurt's question. Uh, Kurt Libby asked us on Twitter, and he said, uh, "I'm considering adding an affiliate program similar to ConvertKit's." 30% lifetime program. What are the pros and cons? Would you do it again? It's always a good question. I always like that when someone's like, that thing that you did, would you do that again? And then the last part of his question is, would you wait till a certain MRR or would you have started earlier? So that's SAS specific. We can also talk like uh, a lot of creators do affiliate programs. Um, there's a lot that goes into it. We can spend a few minutes on on the broader thing.
1: You and I have both have a
0: lot of thoughts on this.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a meaty one. It's a meaty one. I want to kick it off with a little story. Okay. Um, And this will be especially funny. Sean Blanc already knows the story I'm going to tell, actually, and I'm glad that he's listening. So Sean hosts a retreat every summer in Breckenridge, Colorado for um, really thoughtful and interesting uh, creators. And he's been kind enough to invite me a couple times. Um, Last summer, we were there and we were talking about our affiliate program and how it's set up. And we were going through the details and they were asking clarifying questions. And they said, so what do you pay? I said, well, we pay 30%. 30% on what? The first month, the first year, lifetime value. Like, what do you, what do you pay out? Uh, no, it's just 30% forever, as long as a as long as customer's active. And they were all like, what? <laughs> what? Forever? There's no limit on your affiliate? You just like, as long as a customer's live, I keep getting paid? And I was like, yeah, what's wrong with that? <laughs> And it became the joke of the weekend because they were like, who does that? Why would you ever make a lifetime commitment to anything? And the reality is when we were getting started, really when you were getting started, I was just kind of a bystander at that point. You don't have anything to lose because 100% of nothing is nothing. And 70% of something is 70% of something. (laughs) And so (laughs) I feel like this is going to go on an inspirational quote somewhere. You know, if we have like some mountains in the background,
0: the quota grasa and then bear brooks.
1: (laughs) Sorry, continue. So anyways, the guys all made fun of me that our affiliate, you know, we're a mature company now in terms of like how much we've grown and the steady revenue and everything. And so they were just like, this doesn't make any sense. What's, what was the name of the Slack group? Yeah. So out that? a Slack group was created out of the weekend together. And the name of the Slack group was 30% forever, which I find <laughs> hilarious. I, I want to say too, that anytime 30% forever was said for like three months, they would send me a penny on Venmo. Whoever said it would send me a penny or something like, I don't remember what the inside (laughs) joke was, but just like randomly, I'd get a little Venmo notice for a penny showing up in my account because they had talked about it as a joke and then sent me money. Anyways, this is not answering the question, but it is casual Friday. So I feel like funny (laughs) stories are, you know, worthwhile. Oh, maybe it was a nickel. Okay. So if if I had a nickel for every time someone said 30% forever, maybe I'd make my money back. Oh, wow. Uh, Here's the point. Early on, it made a lot of sense, right? Because when you're trying to get traction in a new market and there were already existing affiliate programs out there, Aweber being one of the primary ones, you got to have a way to attract people in and really make it worth their while to promote you, especially when the product is in an early stage and it's not what it will be someday. And so, you know, there's going to be some hiccups here and there. And so 30% forever was a way to get some uptake on the affiliate program from some key partners early on. Mm-hmm. And I don't think without, certainly without the affiliate program, we wouldn't be where we are today. And I don't think without such an attractive offer, we would either. But that's very different from from how we are today. And so let's get into some of that too.
0: Yeah, so first, when you're looking at launching an affiliate program or coming into this, um, this decision, because it is a fairly big one, you gotta think about, What's going on in the marketplace overall? So for us, we actually didn't really make a decision on 30% forever. You, like, you think about all these decisions that you make in a company. That actually wasn't one of them because that's what AWeber offered with their affiliate program. And that was the most common affiliate program in the blogger space at the time, wow. uh, or the most common for email. And so they made the decision for us. And like early on the feature set, you know, we had fairly compatible features with AWeber. It took us a while until we got you know, a much better user experience and a lot more features. So when we launched it, that was just like, great, that's the number. We go from there. And if you look at our growth, so we launched the affiliate program at about 20, like probably 22 to 25,000 a month in revenue. So we, we got a decent traction already. And when it took off, I think it took us four or five months after launching the affiliate program to 4X the company, going from 22 or 25 to 100,000 a month. The affiliate program was just huge for that. Drove a ton of volume. Um, Pat Flynn, uh, Seth and Katie from Wellness Mama, a bunch of others, you know, really jumped on. And it got a lot of traction. So um, I would say, yes, I would absolutely do an affiliate program again. I might even do the same terms in the affiliate program because I think it works out really well. I just might change it later for new affiliates signing up. I would never go back and change it for past affiliates, right? Because you have that, they're grandfathered in, They're your people. You might start with something like 30% for the first year. Now, if you're in the creator space um, and you're not selling a subscription, you're selling one-off questions. i said questions because people are asking good questions. If you're selling one-off content and courses, then I'd look at what the industry standard there is. There's crazy things that go on, but often it's as high. Basically, the range is between 20% and 50% uh, one-time sales. And I would just say, depending on how big of a strategy you want to make it are you trying to use that sale to get someone into your ecosystem? And you're, chart, you're paying for the commission on that first sale, but then once they're a part of your community and you're gonna sell them more things that you're not paying a commission on, then you could go higher. You could even go maybe to 50% for a one-time sale because you're like, great, I'll sell them higher-end products uh, as we go from there. But if you're like, nope, this is the sale, this is the one product that we're selling and, and I'm not relying heavily on affiliates, then you know you might start as low as 10 or 20%. So I would definitely do an affiliate program again. I just might structure it a little bit differently.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, The other thing I'll just call out that for where we are now, there's a real cost to changing the structure. Even if we don't change it for existing affiliates, there's a brand cost to it. And so if we were to make that change, we've got to be ready for some of the blowback that comes from it which is yep. the hit to the brand people perceiving that we're, you know, going corporate or selling out or whatever people would say about it. And so we've got to really take that into account when we make or if we even consider making big changes like that. And that's why it hasn't been a big priority for us, you know. Everyone wins right now with the setup. It might not be the optimal, you know, strategy for profitability, but we no one's losing right now. And yep. so it, we would need some new data or some new circumstances for us to really make that a priority to make any kind of changes to it. But if I were starting today, I might, I might limit it. I might put an upper bound on it. Yeah. 30% for the first
0: two years, 30% for the first year, Mm -hmm. um, something like that. Um, One thing that's really nice about that structure though of a percentage is that if someone refers a really low quality customer, they're getting less money than, and they're getting more for a high quality customer. So each affiliate is actually incentivized to, help people stick around. So like Pat Flynn and Melissa Griffin and all these incredible affiliates that we've had are like investing in their people and giving them email training and and more of this because they want them to stick around. That's been really good. I had one more thought on affiliate programs. One other change that we've made is we found that a lot of what happens is when someone signs up for an affiliate program or someone's like, hey, I'm thinking of switching to ConvertKit. Now you get like five people all handing them affiliate links, like use my link, use my link. And they were going to make that Buying decision anyway, and uh, so what we found is that we actually want to close down uh, new applications to our affiliate program. Instead of letting people just sign up, instead we we switched it to an application. So it's now the people who are like, "Hey, here's how I would promote ConvertKit to a large audience, not just ah, I've got one friend who wants to sign up, so let me make sure I get a commission on that, or one friend who is going to sign up anyway, and let me get my affiliate link in front of them, so I get a commission." So. Uh, We've basically moved away from the tiny one-off things and focused on the big, like who can drive a real partnership, who can do webinars, who can drive 10, 50, 100 accounts or more.
1: Yeah. Last point I'll make, then we'll move on. Clearly, we could have a whole episode about this. But um, anyways, I was looking at a thread on Twitter and they were sharing how it's really important to recognize that marketing channels mature over time. And so when you think about building a business of any kind, whether you're a creator or a software company, you can think of almost like a pyramid that adds up to your total growth over time. And your most mature, oldest marketing channels are what will drive the most growth. So for a lot of creators, that's going to be things like organic search and um, word of mouth. That will be your kind of base level of your pyramid that drives the most. And then the next level up, maybe it's your affiliate program and that drives the next most. And what happens over time is that, level of the pyramid gets bigger. I hate talking about a pyramid that has weird connotations, but <laughs> I'm not, I'm talking about it in an honest way, not like a weird way. Um, as it gets bigger, it fills out to a point that's likely to be, it's kind of cap and it will continue driving that amount of revenue as long as you continue putting the effort in. Uh, but it won't get much bigger than that. And then you add a new layer that starts off small and then grows over time. And so maybe that's like paid advertising or something like that. And mm-hmm. so the important thing to hear in all of the the stuff we're talking about with an affiliate program is your strategy for your affiliate program should change based on its level of maturity in your business as a marketing channel. Early on, you need to be generous so that you can get the momentum going and then you can kind of uh, dial it back some if you do it strategically over time so that it matches the maturity of the channel.
0: And to be clear, when we're dialing it back, we're dialing it back for all the new people coming yes. in. We're not dialing it back for the people who have helped build our business. They're always grandfathered in. So, yep. Um, Let's go to Christian's question. (laughs) When
1: are you going to buy Podia or develop and offer your own integrated course platform? So we could insert any number of names there. I just want to call that out. (laughs) Uh, The question was phrased as, when are we going to buy Podia?
0: Like Podia, for example, makes a great product. um, That's also We've built a platform to integrate with as many different uh, payments platforms, you know, Teachable, Gumroad, Thinkific, Podia, everybody there. And that's worked really well. One thing that we're on the payment side getting really excited about is as we've rebuilt all of these integrations so that they send in revenue data as well, we now have a creator revenue dashboard inside of ConvertKit. And there's still some fine tuning that we're doing on that. But kind of the magical thing that we realized is we actually sit in the perfect spot to have, to do revenue Where as say I run ads and I promote, you know, I'm running ads to email signups and then maybe I spent $5,000 and I got, um, a thousand people to sign up for my list. And I'm like, was that a good use of money? $5 per email address? Maybe, maybe not. I'm like remembering back in the day to when emails were way cheaper than that. And I was like, well, okay. But is that a good a good deal? I don't know. And it's really hard to attribute. In the short term, you're like, nope, these people haven't bought anything. But maybe maybe six months later, you want to actually select that group of people and say, well, how much have they spent? And so that's actually what we're getting really close to uh, building is the ability to see all of that across the board. On us doing a course platform, I don't think that's in our wheelhouse of like what we really excel at. And so what we want to do is really excel at landing pages and email, and then from there, Integrate with all the best platforms for courses and membership sites and things like that because that's just a whole big thing to get into.
1: Yeah, totally. And and I think um, we'll always have that strategy of making the platform accessible. Well, based on our, I don't want to ever say always because I don't want to get you know hung up over this thing in the future. What I will say is based on our current thinking, we want to build an open platform, not a closed platform. So we want people to be able to integrate their tools and make ConvertKit a part of their existing ecosystem, not build a walled off off garden where you have to do everything within the platform.
0: Now, the nice thing is there's a lot of opportunity within those boundaries. And so we'll see where that takes us.
1: Yep. Okay. Next question from Emily. How do you or people you know manage increased attention when your audience grows, especially friendships and people wanting more of or from you that you can't deliver on? Great question. Great mm-hmm. question. Um, well, the first thing I'll say is congratulations. Yeah. If you have this question, it means that your audience is growing, which is kind of what we all set out to do. Um, and there are some real trade offs that come with that. Uh, you know, Charlie shared some of the trade offs yesterday on the episode that I thought. Give a, a real look behind the scenes, especially at being a, um, a female creator online, not to say that haters and things like that are limited to female creators, but it is a unique kind of um, experience. <laughs> so, um, it's complicated. Here's how I manage it. I have a, oh man, all my friends are going to listen to this and think I'm a nerd and or wonder where they fall. But anyways, <laughs> I have a they spreadsheet. They already know
0: you're a nerd. So yes,
1: that's true. I have a spreadsheet. And um, it's based on Dunbar's law, which says that humans are good at maintaining close social contact with about 150-ish people. And what that means is like, you know, what's going on in their life. You don't have to like do a bunch of catching up when you see them. So this doesn't have to do with loose ties, the people in your wider network. It's like the people you're actively engaged with. And I break that down. I wrote an uh, article on it, so I'll share the article as well. But I break that down between people I want to be connected to as teachers or mentors, kind of people leading me as aspirational peers. So people that I see as, um, where I'm at or above where I'm at, but that I have personal contact with social peers who are my friends. They've been around, you know, my life a long time. They're meaningful to me. Um, and then family, uh, well, and coworkers would be another one as a separate category. And so, I actively curate that list of who are the people who I'm really intending to invest in right now. And it's hard, right? Because no one likes to acknowledge that there's a limited amount of bandwidth, but you can either ignore it, which is a choice in and of itself or actively think about how to manage it. And so I choose to actively think about how I manage it. And I try to send those people birthday cards. I try to text them, call them, you know, catch up with them regularly see them if I can that's like who we would schedule trips to go see around the country normally if we had some weekend <laughs> trips available and so for me I know that if you're on that list you get my time you know if you ask me for a favor I'm going to do you a favor if I call you I'm going to assume that we're close enough that you don't mind uh and then anyone outside of that I'm going to default to no unless there's a compelling reason or alignment with where I'm trying to go in my life. And that's not because I don't respect you. I don't like you. I don't, whatever. It's just that I have limited bandwidth. Like we just talked about this yesterday, Nathan, it's, Mm -hmm. this is a tiring time to be alive. And I don't have a lot of yeses I can give out unless they're going to come at the expense of other things that are priorities for me. And so I'm trying to default to no, unless you're one of those people that's, that I'm trying to stay close to, or unless what you're asking me to do is aligned with my existing goals and direction.
0: Yeah, that's good. Um, Steve Jobs talks about or talked about saying uh, focus and everyone talks about you should be focused. And so what does that mean? And he said basically that everybody talks about it being saying yes to the right things, but it actually being the other way of like saying no to like, if you want to maintain focus, it's all about what you say no to, not what you say yes to, because you have to say so many more no's. So I've seen some people who have some good rules around this. I'm trying to remember a few of them. Um, I like your framework, Barrett, of having, you know, just keeping track of who those people are. And when those people call, when those people text, you're just like, yep, I'm there for you. I'm realizing there's a limit to how many how many things you can do. And so I think you would have some broader boundaries, right, for your audience. Maybe you're happy to share a retweet or post something like that for anything that's uh, quality content that someone's asking you to, sh- to share. Maybe on the flip side, you're just like, look, I don't ever do guest posts. Right? And you just had that draw that, that line. That way, you're, every time that request comes in, can I do a guest post? Will you email this to your audience? You're just like, look, I don't do that. you know. Or maybe you do create a structure where a way in which you can do favors. So for example, maybe you'd never email your audience if someone's asking, hey, could you promote this or or that kind of thing? But you would um, maybe have them on the podcast, right? You have a podcast that has guests and you're like, okay, well, if you get to this level, then I'd do it. Take Seth Godin, for example. He's got to get a million requests, so many requests. And he is such a generous, kind person that whenever someone has him on, like invites him on a podcast, he wants to say yes. And he says yes to an incredible number. But he sets, I think, a really clever boundary where he says, So long as you have at least 100 episodes of your podcast, I will come on it. You know, I'm sure there's some other restrictions in there as well. But that's generally it where someone's like, Hey, I just launched a podcast. I'm so excited. Seth will you be on it. I saw you were on these other 10 podcasts, like come be on mine. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Show up for long enough to get to hundred episodes and I'll be there. And that's like such a thing, you know, encourages somebody to set the bar uh, high for themselves as a creator. It's that thing to look forward to of like, okay, wow. So year two, actually it's barely, you know, the very end of year two of my weekly podcast, is going to have Seth Godin as a guest. That's super cool. And then it sets that expectation of like, okay, to build something of traction, it's going to take a lot of time.
1: Yeah. And from a principle standpoint, here's kind of how this plays out. I think it's, if you get a question from your audience, write a blog post or make a podcast article or a Mm -hmm. podcast article, a podcast episode. Um, Don't answer the question over and over in your email inbox. So scale it. Number one, answer the question once, not a hundred times. And the same thing goes for decisions. Make the decision once, not a hundred times. And so you either speak at events or you don't. If you speak at events, what's your principle? What's the bar it has to meet? I only like we set a, a principle for us speaking at events going forward versus the team. And <laughs> it's it's got to be on the main stage. There's got to be X number of attendees. You got to pay our way to get there. And somehow it's got to be less than 48 hours or something like that. Whereas if you want the team to come, great. The team can come give a workshop, they can do a smaller thing or whatever. But our time is super in demand in terms of just the number of people that want something from or need or deserve something (laughs) from us, um, and running this size company. So anyways, make the decision once, not a hundred times would be kind of the principle there.
0: Yep. I like that. And just realize that more of those requests are going to come. Uh, I got a call from a friend who I really like, who was like, Hey, I want to start this thing. Will you start it with me? And it's like, it's a great idea. And no, I'm not going to start it with you. Yep. But when, when you get this much traction with it, I will help, but I'm not going to get it off the ground, but I will help amplify it. Once you put in enough to prove that, you know, this is a thing that you're really doing. I love it. Last question. And then we filled the whole, the whole time. We're, we're good at talking. It turns out. <laughs> All right. We'll go to Sean's question.
1: What do you got? When someone fills out uh, an NPS score and then gives their feedback, which numbers should we pay attention to more specifically? Should we focus on solving the frustrations given by low score givers, or should we focus on the feedback of the high score givers? A couple quick things.
0: NPS stands for net promoter score. Right. And so what that is, is we're sending out a survey, right? You can ask people a whole bunch of questions. Do you like working at this company? Did you enjoy this product? All these things. There's, Various benefits to those questions. Uh, what we as a business community have kind of settled on, the ideal question is, is how likely are you to recommend this to a friend? And this being this product, uh, the conference, you know. so we host Craft & Commerce. How likely are you to recommend to your friends that they attend Craft & Commerce, rated one through 10? How likely are you to recommend to a friend that they should work at ConvertKit? We just sent that, that same survey to all of our team members. They say rated one through 10, um basically one through one through six are detractors on that because people tend to skew more positive. Um, seven and eight are considered neutral, and nine and ten are considered promoters. That's where you get the net promoter score. So that's the the quick
1: explanation of it. Love it. Um I like many questions would say it depends. If you find that you are skewing low on your score. I might really dig in on those low scores and really try and figure out, okay, if my score is skewing low, it actually might mean there's a flaw, a fundamental flaw in the product or a fundamental flaw in the promise that I'm making related to my product or service uh, or my community or my whatever that it is that I'm asking about. And when that's the case, I really wanna go find the trends. What are the trends amongst all the people who wouldn't promote it all that much? What do I need to fix? What do I need to change about my positioning or whatever it might be? If you're skewing high and there's a couple detractors, I think it's a really great opportunity to consider whether those might just be the people that you didn't make it for. And that's okay. You're, you're never going to have a lack of promoters. That's the whole point is you, you can't be perfect. And so really it's got to be up to your judgment on, is this feedback in aggregate telling you that there's some, a fundamental flaw, or is it telling you that you're on the right track and you just need to keep Mm -hmm. going? If you're on the right track, I'd say reinforce the strengths, maybe look at the negatives for what you should cut out or what you should stop offering in terms of, uh, in terms of your product or whatever. So maybe you have like a career search product and, a big part of what you offer is clarity to the person on what it is that they want. And that's really what people get out of it. Like uh, Sean's course on the focus course, it's really about defining your values. That's (laughs) a lot of what I got out of it, right? And maybe some of the tactical stuff is what people don't get as much out of. Maybe like a resume review, people didn't get what they wanted out of that. And so maybe you actually just end up cutting that because most of your feedback is really positive. And then you go focus on improving all the things that people really enjoy. So that would be my feed. My, my approach is if it skews low focus on the low, if it skews high focus there and just recognize that it's not for some of the people who are going to respond. Yep, that all makes
0: sense. I would say. I don't know that I would focus on either side. I would focus on the question that comes after it, which is basically the tell me more question. That's free form text. And I would look for anything in there that's specific, right? There are the people who will go like seven, cool, next, whatever. But the ones who dive in and say, I really don't like your product or it was a bad experience because of A, B, and C. Lean into that, research who that person is and say, is that my target customer? If yes, then like dig in and try to solve that problem. And the people who say, I love this because... You explained this concept so well. The user experience is so easy to use. Whatever it is, like lean into that and start to incorporate those in your marketing. One thing that I used it for a lot in the early days of ConvertKit is for all of those like mid-tier and large customers, say 10,000 subscribers to a couple hundred thousand subscribers who are using ConvertKit. And I'd check in with them and they would like, you need anything? You guys good? Everything working with ConvertKit? They're like, yeah, yeah, that's great. But I always, I never felt confident in, do they love the product? Do they feel like it's not that great? And whenever those surveys went out, I think maybe twice a year is what we did. And I'd get that and they'd come back and be like 10. Then it'd be like, oh okay. good. Okay. You do actually like it. Or there'd be people who I thought were totally happy. And they'd come back with a seven and like or a six and some specific things to work on. And that gave me the opportunity to be like, oh, okay, let me fix that for you right away. Well, let's get on a call and talk through it. And so we can make a lot more happen there.
1: Love it. Boop, 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 ba-doop, be doop, boo. Booby doo booby doo creator of the day. I missed you, Barrett.
0: (laughs) I was meaning to ask earlier, um, like at what point specifically did I move to number one on your spreadsheet?
1: Um, But we'll save that
0: for for later. You know,
1: so presumptuous. (laughs) All
0: right, my creator of the day is Nir Ayal. He became well known for writing the book "Hooked," which is all about how to make products that really draw people in get their attention and hook them. And then he wrote uh, a very important book called Indistractable, which is really solid, really enjoyed it. Look, creator of the day and resource of the day all at the same time. Um, I had the chance to hear um, Nir speak at the Inc. 5000 conference, I guess a year ago or last last fall. He gave a fantastic talk, really enjoyed it. And then we sat down afterwards and, and chatted. he was super generous with his time. Great guy. I really enjoy his, his blog and his writing. And uh, I think in this time when we're stuck at home, it's really easy to let your attention just go to any one thing to write to, whether it's checking the news or scrolling Twitter endlessly or whatever else that it is. I think that with less to do, we're even more distractible. And uh, it's a perfect time to read that book.
1: Love it. Um, let's see. My creator of the day, is Shannon Wild. Y'all probably know by now that some of my favorite creators to follow online are wildlife photographers and people working on conservation and um, saving the planet. Shannon's an incredible photographer and filmmaker. Just awesome feed on Instagram of animals and being on site, on location for her shoots. Love her work, Uh, really special. She's got a great presentation and I think film she made about Black Panther's Um, in the wild, one of the things I most love about her as a creator is that she makes these, um, bracelets for wildlife that, uh, 50% of the purchase price goes to charity supporting wildlife. And so they're kind of like a fun statement about your belief in environmentalism and conservation and wildlife. Um, and they're nice fashion accessories as well, which is another fun interest of mine. So that's the first thing, Shannon, uh, shout out to you for your great work. Thanks for doing it. And the second thing is my resource of the day is Project Wren. got introduced to this by my friend, Matthew Marshall, who runs our friend, Matthew Marshall, who runs um, New Story Charity alongside of a couple of other friends. Project Wren is one of many platforms that allows you to offset your carbon footprint. Carbon offsets are an imperfect way to solve a very important problem, which is our impact on the environment by producing a metric lot of uh, (laughs) carbon through our lifestyles, especially if you live in a developed country, middle plus income kind of situation. The best thing to do is reduce your carbon footprint. The second best thing to do is to offset your carbon footprint that you can't reduce with buying carbon offsets, which basically mean they, fund or start projects that either plant trees or actively remove carbon from the atmosphere in some way or another. And so it's an active way to pull carbon out of the atmosphere in response to you adding it. I donate every month. They have a great tool for calculating what your footprint is. And then they suggest an amount of money that you can donate to uh, offset what you make in terms of impact. Love it. You know, and I was thinking with Matthew, you can claim him as your
0: friend. He, You introduced him to me. So- you know, he can be your friend first and then our friend after that. Just so long as I'm higher in the spreadsheet than he is, then we're good.
1: Yes, yes, I will never publish that spreadsheet. (laughs) (laughs) There's
0: there's no way you can. Okay, as the closing thought of the day, I want to talk about this article. Maybe we'll do a whole episode on it later. Uh, But this is from a guy named Andrew Wilkinson, who uh, is a really thoughtful uh, investor, startup founder, designer. And uh, I just like this. He talks about the power of anti-goals, Um, but as read the whole article, um, we'll drop a link to it in the chat, but he talks about designing, not starting by designing his perfect day, but starting uh, designing his worst possible day. What's in his worst possible work day. You know, a productive day. It's not like a, a day that somebody got hit by a bus. It's like a day that he showed up to work and did not enjoy it. And then saying, okay, this is what a bad day looks like. Now let me design the opposite. So we'll talk about it more later. That's just my closing thought. We'll link to that in the chat. I would just say sit down and think about okay, what do I not want to do? Where do I not want to end up as a creator? What does failure look like? And write that down, list it out. Uh, one, because when you define it, it's less scary. And then two, when it's listed out, you can invert it and you can say, great, now I have a new set of goals and I know what I want to pursue. So that's it for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you. Oh, we will not see you on Monday. Not Not because we're canceling the show, because we have some fantastic co-hosts. So Alexis and Haley from our team, who uh, have been on past episodes individually, are going to run the whole show because we will be off at our board meeting. So uh, Monday, tune in live, bring your friends, bring all the energy, because Haley and Alexis are going to bring way more energy than Barrett and I do. So
1: (laughs) they're going to be great. So, we'll be back on uh, on Tuesday. Y'all have a great weekend. Take care of yourselves, and we'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you didn't pick it up from the show, we make a tool called ConvertKit, where we're on a mission to help creators earn a living by building software that helps you build an audience of loyal fans. If you want to give ConvertKit a try, you can go to landingpage.new to launch your next creative project you'll be able to build a landing page and send emails for up to 500 subscribers totally for free. So again, that's landingpage.new. You can get started with your free ConvertKit account today.